the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. The drives one. Hey, more baseball is on the way. This is like Christmas this time of year. College baseball regionals get underway, what, Friday? Uh, the Dominican Summer League gets going Monday. The Complex Leagues both get going on Tuesday. It must be June. It must be June. This is the FSS Plus Podcast. I'm Jason Churchill. With me is Joe Doyle. Joe, it doesn't get much better than this if you are a fan of the game of baseball, does it? I mean, June just brings a little bit or a lot of everything. Everything. I love this time of year, man. We're walking up on the draft. High school baseball is coming to a close. College, the College World Series is here. I mean, the All-Star game, the Futures game, All-American games. Like, this is when it starts to heat up, man. If you're into the whole, like, life cycle of a player from 16 to 36, this is the sweet spot. And the weather's great. It really is in most parts of the country too. Uh, you know, we're up here in the in the Northwest where you kind of have to wait till late May or June to get the good weather, and uh, other parts of the country get a little sooner. But just about everywhere, you have an opportunity to have 70, 75, 80, 85 degrees and sunny. And man, that's baseball weather. Uh, by the way, uh, Friday's Arizona TCU matchup. Uh, I think that's the Fayetteville Regional. That one's going to have my eyeballs on Friday night. Two first-round talents in that game and, and Chase Davis and Braden Taylor, so that's always fun. And there are matchups like that all over the place the next three weeks in college baseball. You're going to be able to see pitcher-hitter matchups of like first, second, third-round picks facing each other. Uh, that's going to happen left and right. That's one of the funnest things about, uh, about May and June. In, uh, in amateur baseball. Uh, all right, here's today's agenda. We're going to talk a little draft. Uh, if we have Joe with us, we're probably talking draft. Uh, today, I want to get Joe's take on uh, on biggest and best upside plays in the draft class. And, and I want to leave out, Joe, uh, players that don't currently project as first-round guys. So maybe we're kind of removing the top 30 to 40 guys from the conversation. So I want to get some names from you that fit that category, the upside category. And I also want to talk about the American League East and how unique that situation is. Um, it's pretty crazy right now in that division. And if it stays that way or even anywhere close, uh, there are going to be ramifications. And that might impact how some teams handle things uh, over the summer. And you know what? Why don't we just start right there? Uh, we'll get to the draft in a little bit. The American League East and Major League Baseball in 2023, Joe, all five teams have a winning record entering play on Thursday. There are six and a half games separating the last place team with the second place team, which is Baltimore. And Baltimore is what, 14 games over 500. Three teams are 10 or more games over 500 the Rays, the Orioles, and the New York Yankees. Joe, it looks like right now there are three playoff teams in the division, does it not? Yeah, there has to be. I mean, but you, and even looking at the rosters, you, you don't look at the AL East and think, hmm. You know, this is a fraud. This is a fraud. But I go back to this. I, st I do still think there's going to be three playoff teams, but there has to be cannibalism. Now, there's not 19 games in the division like there was prior to this year. There's only 13 games. So I think that kind of takes the 
cannibalistic nature of the AL East down a peg. But I mean, I, the Blue Jays are in last place in that division, and they might have the second best roster. The Yankees look, at least from a pitching perspective, not from a health perspective, they could really pitch. That's the best Yankees bullpen that we've seen in recent memories. Uh, recent memory. The, the Rays are hot as hell. The, the Orioles are a trade deadline away from being a legitimate World Series contender from this table, from this chair. So, yeah, man, like the AL East is pretty loaded, and I still don't totally believe in the Boston Red Sox, if, if I'm being totally honest with you. But it, do you see a scenario where – I see a scenario where all three of the wildcard teams come out of the AL East. Am I wrong? It's possible because right now, the way you look at it, you're getting two wildcard teams. If the season ended today, you'd have the Rays winning the division. You'd have Baltimore as the, the number one wildcard, and you'd have the Yankees as the – uh, either the number two wild card or they'd be the number three and, and the Houston Astros would be the number two, uh, depending on exactly which day you look uh, at the standings. But it, it, let's dive into the Yankees really quick here. You mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned that pitching staff, that bullpen obviously has things rolling. Can that starting rotate? I think that's the question with with New York. I think there's two questions with the Yankees. Can the starting rotation hold up? I mean, with the injuries they have, you're looking at Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez, Domingo Herman. Uh, Clark Schmidt, who has pretty good stuff, and and he'll get swings and misses, especially with that slider. But can he can he hold up, uh, and, and can he maybe improve a little bit? He's actually outpitched his his standard general ERA a little bit. If you look at some of the other runs allowed metrics, but you know he's not a one or a two. It's really Clark Schmidt and 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 a couple of number threes and whatever Domingo Herman turns into, and then maybe a hole at the back of the rotation and there doesn't appear to be a lot of depth there. So I think that starting rotation is a little bit of a question for the Yankees. They might wish they still had Jordan Montgomery at this point. Yeah. I I can't help but wonder if the rotation is going to progress and regress back to the mean like Nestor Cortez is, has not been Nestor Cortez this season. I would expect him to get a little better. He was very good against mm -hmm. Seattle this week. So it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Clark Schmidt again, not that good, but the stuff is good. Luis Severino, uh, if I'm if I'm the Yankees, I expect nothing from Luis Severino this year. He's been right. so hurt over the last few years. I don't think that you can kind of pencil in anything. And then, you know, Carlos Rodon can say whatever he wants about his back. It's a back. You know, mm -hmm. you, we don't know about a back. We've seen so many guys come back from a back injury, and oh, and then their oblique goes. Oh, then their hamstrings go. Oh, then their right. abdominal core goes. Like it could be anything. So you have Garrett Cole. He's a legitimate horse. He might be the best pitcher in baseball. And then I think, like you said, you've got a whole lot of number threes there that are kind of a hodgepodge of producing and not producing. I think the Yankees need to go out and they need to trade for a starting pitcher. I think that's kind of what I'm coming around to because the rest of the roster is good enough to to win, frankly, if, if we're being totally honest, to win a World Series. They've got the pieces. I do think they could use another bat. I, I, I don't think you can lean on a Willie Calhoun type of player in October. Um, so I think they could use one more kind of leverageable uh, stick, but... Yeah, uh, there's there's some question marks in the rotation. A lot of injuries, which is I think the, the yeah, New York and, there's some, and there's been some injuries to the 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 bullpen as well. You look at guys that are on the the IL right now. Um, they got some key, obviously, and, and Frankie Montas is another one with with Rodon, where you just you can't expect anything mm -hmm. from from those guys at, at this point. I mean, Severino looks like okay, maybe maybe like that's a little different story than Montas and, and Rodon at this point. But even that bullpen. Uh, they have a couple of key guys that uh, that are on the aisle, including a couple that are on the 60 day. You just don't know if and when you're going to get them back. Uh, Lou Trevino being uh, being one of those. But I think you look at the lineup right now, and I think I, that my concern there is, I mean, you got you got Harrison Bader on the on the aisle. That doesn't necessarily look to be long term, 
but is there enough there? You mentioned Willie Calhoun. They're kind of counting on him right now. He was batting third or fourth in the lineup over the weekend uh, at T-Mobile Park in in uh, in Seattle for that series. And while he's swinging the bat pretty well right now, you know, you get Giancarlo Stanton and Josh Donaldson back, but can you rely on him? And I, I guess that's the thing. Is there enough reliability on that club? I mean, Anthony Rizzo isn't injury prone, so the fact that he was out uh, for a few days there and missed the Seattle series, I'm not really thinking about that. Is there enough reliability and availability in that lineup to keep things rolling, to keep Aaron Judge? You know, he's the ultimate factor, Joe. I mean, we were wowed watching that series. You can't pitch to him. He's so difficult to pitch to, no. and he completely changes how you attack everything in that lineup because you do not want to face him in a situation where one swing of the bat gives you the leader, ties the game. But I just don't know if there's enough else there. I, I like Anthony Rizzo. He's having a good year. LeMay, who's not quite the hitter he has been in years past. I like Glaber Torres. But is it deep enough? What are they going to get offensively from Volpe? What are they going to get offensively from the catcher spot? I just don't know if there's enough availability there with some of those other guys to uh, to ride me to 95 wins with that club. So maybe 88 to 90 gets them in. And right now they're they're rolling. But if that pitching falls apart, I just don't like their chances. I, I think they've got enough. I say this uh, as a person that watched the pennant race in 2022 and, and watched all of these veterans struggle. I mean, it was Aaron Judge and junk last year and really the roster is exactly the same so i, I think you know if, if you can get stanton back and you can have him healthy for october i think that's a big one even though there's a lot of swing and miss i do think that's a big addition anthony rizzo is going to be some form of a producing first baseman or dh he's critical to this roster as one of the only left-handed hitters that they can throw out there lemayhew is is seasoned i think donaldson is seasoned both of those guys are obviously on a slippery slope down towards the you know later stages of their careers. But I think there's enough in this roster to push their way through the American League if, if they can get to that point and lean on the pitching. But like I said, I, I really think they need a left-handed bat to kind of not only stabilize uh, mm-hmm. what, what this roster looks like right now, but also just throw another guy, throw another healthy stick in this in this organization that they can rely on in October. Because as we've seen, this organization, for some reason or another, and maybe it's because they're you know, 33, 34, 35-year-olds, they just break down. Yeah, so really quick question, uh, and then we'll move on to Baltimore really quick. Uh, if looking at that farm system in New York, do they have enough talent to go make a somewhat blockbuster deal? Uh, I have one in mind just to give you something to reply to. If the Chicago Cubs tailspin a little bit, they might consider moving some dudes. Okay. I know they're trying to win and they're actually buying, but the market might be down for starting pitching this summer. And if you make, uh, you make a kid like Marcus Stroman available, a good year, maybe a career year, people are going to come calling and you might have the best starting pitcher on the market. Now they don't have to move him. I mean, he's under club control through next season, although he can opt out after this year and he's having a career year. So that might be one of the reasons why they consider, trading Stroman despite the fact that he's off to a pretty good start. Now he's not a dominant one. He's probably a guy that fits in that three spot. But if you're the Yankees, don't you call the Cubs and say, hey, we really love to get Marcus Stroman. And while we're at it, while we're talking, what would it take to get Stroman and Cody Bellinger from the Chicago Cubs? Yeah. Do the Yankees have the firepower in their farm system? Or even if we include the uh, the 26-man roster to go make a deal like that, are they going to get out uh, – 
kind of outpaced by the Baltimores and the, and the Texas Rangers and the Astros and teams like that, that have bigger and better and deeper farm systems right now. Well, they, they I, clearly they have the pieces, uh, Trey Sweeney, Everson Pereira, Spencer Jones, like Jason, Deme- like they have the pieces, but uh, are the Yankees in a position to hemorrhage their farm system to the point where it's one of the, you know, bottom five, six, seven farm systems in baseball for a couple of rentals? I don't know. I, I think it kind of depends on how you view this roster. If you view this roster as a World Series contender on July 31st, July 29th, wherever they make the deal, then, you know, maybe you make that deal. But I'm probably not moving. I'm probably not trading for both. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm the Yankees, I'm trying to keep all five of my top five prospects because I do think Sweeney, Pereira, Jones, Wells, and Dominguez are guys that you want to see play out in the system. There's a lot of good arms below that, but there's a lot of reliever questions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it takes, you know, if I'm just throwing names around here, if it takes, if it takes Clayton Beater and Tristan Vreeling to get Cody Bellinger, mm-hmm. I think you, you probably make that deal. Stroman's right. going to be expensive because a, a right. rental for the NL's best pitcher right now is going to be spendy, but that they're going to have to make a move. And um, I, I think it's, I think first of all, for me, it would be a bat for New York. You'd prioritize offense. Yeah. Uh, I could see that. I, I can go either way. I think they need a little bit of both, but uh, how much impact they can get remains to be seen. Baltimore with all their young talent might be one of the clubs in that division. Uh, best, uh, you know, prepped to make a, an impact deal. But the question is, if you're the Orioles, you have one of the top farm systems in baseball. Are you including in any conversation any of the top young talents that are at the major league level for you right now? The Grayson Rodriguez's and the Gunnar Henderson's and the Adley Rutschman's. My, my my thought is no. So leaving those three out, can they go make an impact deal? Because I look at that starting rotation, Joe, and so far in the first two full months of the season, that's one of the bottom five to eight rotations so far in production. They have a bunch of mid-level guys for the most part, and Grayson Rodriguez is still getting his feet wet. Well, I mean, they, they certainly have the pieces. Uh, you know, they have, you know, for example, Co- Kobe Mayo is the number mm-hmm. eight prospect, uh, according to Pipeline in the Orioles organization. That He's a top two prospect in the Yankees organization. So they've got sure. the ammo. Uh, they're going to need pitching. If they think this is their year, they're going to need pitching. I am reluctant to think that knowing where the Orioles are in their rebuild, I'm reluctant to think that they would start moving pieces for rentals unless that ownership group, which has to this point shown no interest in spending money as they kind of figure out what the succession plan looks like over there. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're in any any hurry to to move assets, cheap controllable assets for, for rentals. So I would ask, I would ask your opinion if you are the Orioles front office is now the time to make a move for a rental. See the thing they is seem like to be kind of living in, in this, we want to push the window open, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I really, I really think that depends on how many of those starting pitchers actually make it to market. And that was kind of the point that I was making quickly there with Stroman. Like there's a chance he's the best starter on the market. And we, I realize that he's not a one, he's not an ACE. I, I get that. He's throwing the ball. Well, maybe having the best year of his career, uh, another guy over in the American League is Eduardo Rodriguez. Like if you're Detroit, now they're trying to hang on to contention in a in a terrible American League Central right now. Um, they're hovering around 500 within a game or two in either direction. 
But if they get to a point where they put Eduardo Rodriguez on the market and you look at his contractual situation, he's making $15 million a year, but can opt out after the season. You have to look at him as a rental. And, and we all know the thing with the rental is if you trade for him on July 31st, you're getting him for two months and maybe the postseason. So you're getting him for roughly 33% of the season, but you're going to pay as if you're getting him for 50 to 70% of the season. That's the way these things work. So if you're telling me the cost for starting pitching at the deadline is one of my top five to seven prospects, and then another one in the in the eight to 12 range to get two months of Eduardo Rodriguez or Marcus Stroman, I probably back off. I'd rather pay a little more than that. I'd rather pay, I'd rather take that 50 to 70% to 120 and get a guy that I can keep for two years. So I'd rather actually pay more and get more out of it than doing it. I know there are a lot of clubs right now. Seattle's in the same boat that Baltimore is. They don't really want to go the rental route because they're trying to protect this, protect this long-term window. But I still think if you're Baltimore, you have to do something. So I, I really don't know what the answer is there, but they're going to need rotation help. And some of it may come from some of the guys they have just being a little bit better and Grayson Rodriguez, maybe turning a corner, but they're going to have to look around and, and find at least a mid rotation guy or two uh, to fill out that rotation. If they want to continue at the pace that they're, they're at right now, because that's the thing that's their backbone right now. And it's not looking good for that rotation. We think they're going to hit, right? We think Gunnar Henderson's going to hit. Oh, yeah. we, we know he's hitting. We know they're going to score some runs and they're trending in the right direction there. But you look at that rotation. It just, it hasn't done jack. I mean, it is, it's really rough. They're putting an awful lot of pressure on that offense and especially that bullpen right now that they have to go out and make a move. So, you know what I'm uh, doing, Jason? I'm, I'm I try to if do I'm, something pretty big. Yeah. If I'm Baltimore, I'm calling up the South side and I'm getting Lance Lynn and I'm getting Liam Hendricks. That would be my move because mm -hmm. you, you control them both through the end of 2023. You have the entire season of 2024 with them. And honestly, I think both of those guys are culture setting. Now, granted, the White Sox have not had the best culture over the last two seasons. And I mm -hmm. I see that. But to me, it just seems like Lance Lynn and Liam Hendricks are guys that a young organization, yeah. a young staff can rally around. And it's a, it's a yeah. good way to spend money. And it's a stabilizing force too. Like Lance Lynn, you don't see Lance Lynn just get blown up. Um, in multiple right. weeks. So I, I think right. that would be a great fit for Baltimore. Right. Uh, he did have a rough outing uh, his last time out, but yeah, you don't see that a whole lot. And and it looked like before that he was stabilizing a little bit, but you might be buying low on a guy like Lance right. Lynn too. And this is where your, your, your coaching, your training, your development comes into play. If you see something, even with a 36 year old Lance Lynn, where you can help him make an adjustment and get back to where he was. I mean, that's what you do. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting idea. So when you look at that, uh, that division, uh, it's obviously the Rays running away with it at this point. Uh, um, the Yankees and the Orioles kind of playing for second place, at least at this point, it's early and a lot can happen. We saw the Yankees get out to a huge early lead last year and it got a little hairy there for a little bit because they, they really, really struggled. But Baltimore's four games back of the Rays. The Yankees are six games back of the Rays. And then we have the 30 and 27 Toronto Blue Jays and the 28 and 27 Red Sox. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago, it's hard to buy the Red Sox and it is. And it's, I would imagine it's mostly pitching, although they have holes just about everywhere. Um, but that Toronto Blue Jays club might be the key to this whole thing to me. The, the whole idea that the American League East is really, really good and it's got five decent to really good teams in it and no other uh, division can say that. I mean, the American League West could say that except for the Oakland A's. 
Uh, the NL East can say that except for the Washington Nationals. And you're getting the Cubs fall apart in the NL Central or you'd have, you know, five competitive teams there as well. But you get back to the East and the impact that could have, if you have the Rays and the Orioles and the Yankees, and then you have Toronto really turn it on. They're three games over 500. They're in it. They're three games behind one of the, the, the last wildcard spot now. So they're right there. If they turn it on, the American League Central, you'd have to win the division to get in. The American League West, you might have to win the division to get in. I mean, at this point, the team that uh, Toronto's three games back of is the Houston Astros. They're the owner of the final wildcard spot. So if Toronto gets going, the rest of the American League is in trouble. It's going to be dominated by the American League East that postseason. So if you're Toronto, though, how do you flip that? Because, man, I, I, wish, I, could, I, I wish I could opine, Joe, on what's going on with Alec Manoa at this point he is an absolute shell of himself and and i just don't know what's going on there it is just really really strange to see a guy be so good and look like maybe he's a one uh looking like if they were to add another starter he'd be the odd man out that's that's how poorly he's pitched but if you're toronto what are you trying to do here how are you approaching the rest of this season do you go out and get some insurance for manoa and you say kikuchi the back of your rotation right now and and hope that uh, your offense just continues to kind of carry things. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what the blue Jays do if they can't turn this season around. Cause I look at this roster and you've got Dalton Varsho for two more years. You've mm -hmm. got Vlad for two more years. You got Bichette for three more years. And I mean, Bichette and Vlad are going to cost $65 million a year mm -hmm. combined. That's a good point. I, yeah, you know, that's a good point. I, I don't know if, if, if this team is, terrible at the end of this or in, in july if they're so far out of it mm -hmm. you know do you parse do you parse some of these um aging contracts away like they just signed jose barrios to a big deal um mm -hmm. i think if you're the toronto blue jays you kind of have to stay in it like you have to hope for a you have to hope for yeah. a win streak and i would probably if i was toronto i would probably try and shore it up in the bullpen you know get as many bullpen pieces okay. as you can and see if you mm -hmm. can lock down games later because this team should hit and but boy, if, if Alec Manoa is this version of Alec Manoa and Yusei Kikuchi doesn't provide any value in the rotation mm -hmm. like he is yet to provide, I don't know where you go from here, man. That's a really good point about uh, about Guerrero and Bichette and what they're ultimately going to cost. And I'll throw another wrench into that. Um, Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman's free he's, agency. He's got to be gone. There's no and chance. He, that I wouldn't imagine so. You know, we're talking about what? Uh, and obviously he's having a great year. He's having a career year. But we're talking about a guy who's already 30 years old, who's had some injury issues. Now, he has played 150-plus games two years in a row, so maybe you think that's behind him and that it was very short-lived. Uh, and he returned to form a little bit in, uh, in 2022, adding a little bit to his performance from, uh, from a down year in 21, even though he hit the 27 homers. But this year, it's, it's been his best year, 288, 366, 490, a 138 WRC+. Plus, and we know what he is defensively, but – Free agency's coming, and if if you're the Blue Jays and you're trying to stay in it, can you think about the Matt Chapman situation at all at this point, or did you just wait until the end of the year to deal with third base to to maybe think about offering Matt Chapman something, or do you maybe try and get creative at the deadline and try to add to your weakness by using Matt Chapman? Like, is that something that you could see on the table at all? Is that something you might do if you were sitting there in the front office? You'd be you'd be selling high on Matt Chapman. 
I mean, I think one thing that people don't talk about enough in this industry in terms of player control is that mm-hmm. franchise tag. Uh, you know, the ability to keep him in 2024 for, let's say, uh, what what would you say it would be? 26 mil for the, the qualifying uh, the qualifying offer? Um, yeah, the qualifying probably offer. Around, probably around 20 million. I think it was a little over 18 or 19 last year. I think I don't have the exact number. Oh, but right, right, right. I was mixing dollars. things up with the NFL where it was the average around, of the around, top five. Yeah, around 20 million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, if but you is look Matt Chapman that taking that? That's a no brainer. No, but no, is no. Matt Chapman but taking you, that? He's not taking that, right? Of course not. But yeah. uh, if you don't trade him, you get uh, you get access to that draft pick, which isn't valueless because mm-hmm. we know Matt Chapman is going to get a hundred million dollars or more. You know, sure. he's he's going to be thirty years old, thirty one years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to be the arguably uh, aside from Otani, the best hitter on the market in a down year mm-hmm. on the market. He's going to mm-hmm. get a ton of money. So. Yep. You, you, you do kind of weigh that. I do think if they were to trade Chapman, it would for a, for a rental, it would be a pretty good haul. I mean, mm-hmm. that shores up defense at third base. It, it's a middle of the lineup stick. Like Matt Chapman is is exponentially more valuable than someone like a Cody Bellinger. So right, right. I, yeah. I, I, yeah, that's a that's an I interesting think, situation they got there. And if they hang on to everybody and just try to add. Do they just stick in the bullpen? Is 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 that it, or or would much, you try and go out on the market and grab a mid rotation starter? Yeah, I mean, I think how much every, can you I add? Think that, every, that payroll. I, I think every team out there can afford to get a mid rotation starter. To can get a good four or a decent three, and then what are they middle of the pack in terms of the farm system when you look around the league? And half of the yeah. half of the teams that are ahead of them won't be in it anyway, like Colorado and you know teams like that. You know, I'm like, just you're really just only competing so with the other buyers. I'm just more so speaking in terms of pure payroll. Like they have inflated and bloated their payroll to levels that we've never really seen the Blue Jays approach. I mean, they're about 215 million right now. Uh, I just wonder how much that ownership. You look at what they did this past offseason. They moved Teoscar Hernandez, who they could have used. He's a good player. I know he's having a down year in Seattle, but he was one of the staples in their lineup. They move him for what was essentially a controllable, cheap Eric Swanson reliever who's making like a couple million bucks. That was clearly, clearly a move to shed payroll. So my question is, are the Blue Jays in a position to add even even $8 million in terms of a starting pitcher? I don't know. I can't answer that question. But I, I think based on their actions this past offseason, I don't think it should be assumed that they have the luxury of adding payroll in July. We'll see. Yeah, I think when you look at the because they're when you look at their luxury tax number, they're already over the first one. They're already into the two hundred fifty yeah. million dollar range, so already over the first one. Um, the first one is is two thirty three this year, but then after that, it it goes up, and they're not anywhere like they could add eight million dollars before they get to that second one. So maybe they go up close to it and and add someone to to help them in the rotation. But I, I just wonder like that. That's why I brought up Chapman. Cause like there's, there's, there's a money exchange there. If you can get a younger pitcher uh, that's not making as much money, as Chapman, actually go backward in payroll and maybe open up room uh, for something else to do with the deal. I just look at this Toronto team and I, I see a club that, uh, and I don't know what's Chapman making like, like 12, 13 million a year. I think he signed a two year deal before last year worth 25 million. So if you can go out and get a trade Chapman for a $4 million starting pitcher and a $2 million uh, infielder to take Chapman's place and a $2 million reliever, you actually take money off the payroll you're spending this season. But if you're just looking to next year, I mean, worry about next year, right? If you're the Blue Jays and you think we can do some serious damage 
we just need to flip this a little bit. We're 30 and 27. We're going to get to the deadline. We're going to add an impact starter or, you know, a mid rotation starter and an impact reliever. I just think you kind of go for it. You've, what have you, otherwise, what have you actually spent that $250 million for in the first place? Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it, this is called the San Diego Padres theorem. It's what, it's what we talk about every week. What did we spend the money for? It's the New yeah. York Mets principle. It's a really good question I, I, when it listen, comes to the San Diego Padres. I don't know why if they the Padres, spent exactly that money. <laughs> well, because they, because I know what the idea so is, but I don't know yeah. why they did what they did. Yeah, mega teams, at least in 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 baseball, just don't seem to work. It, I will mm -hmm. say this, just as a kind of a fun talking point: if the Blue Jays were to move Matt Chapman, mm -hmm. I would have to think, assuming they come back from what's been an early season slump, the Phillies would be all over that. I mean, they're left-handed heavy. They could mm -hmm. use a stabilizing force at third base. Alec Bohm has been good, not great. There's the designated hitter position that they can kind of bounce some different people in and out of. Yeah, they, yeah, they lost Reese deal. Hoskins. Yeah, they lost Reese Hoskins. Right. So there's room. There's I mean, all they've there. really got, all they've really got on from the right side is Castellanos. That's about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So yeah, be a good, a good fit. Yeah, I like that. Let's uh, let's go ahead and call those clubs and get them working on that. Um, appreciate it, Joe. Thanks. Uh, the Boston Red Sox. Hanging on. They're hanging on. There's some talent there. Rafael Devers, Chris Sale is back, throwing the ball pretty well. Not great, but pretty well. A little up and down. Uh, the strikeout numbers are there. He's throwing strikes, uh, getting hit just a little bit. I think the home run ball has bit him a little more than it normally does. But we don't like really anything else going on in that rotation, do we? And I think Boston is the one team that we're kind of looking at as, well, if there's going to be a seller in that division, this is it. Uh, yeah, I just don't think they have the roster to keep up for for – eight months or however long it is, seven months. I mean, look at the rotation. Like how are they going to compete with the AL East for the rest of the year? They've got some good bats. Verdugo's mm. having a good year. He's, he's, he's really back on it. Devers is having a good year. Some of the year young, uh, Masahiro Tanaka has been, has been great. Yoshida. Yeah. Did I say Masahiro, Masahiro Tanaka? Yeah. You said Tanaka. Yeah. Tanaka might be having a great year. And if he's out there listening, yeah, cause somewhere. I know he is, I know he's a big fan uh hello hello tanaka yeah we're big fans yeah uh, but yeah I you're right that, that, that rotation is is you know for lack of a, shoddy uh, and the bullpen is worse oh boy it is uh boston ranks 25th in uh rotation wins above replacement or excuse me uh pitching wins above replacement and the rotation um isn't any better it's 27th so when you look at it here's one of the things that worries me we know the bullpen's not great they've had some injuries there as well but we worried about impact in that bullpen before the season started you look at what's going on in that rotation right now they've covered what 278 innings the red sox rotation has which is mm -hmm. fifth fewest in major league baseball the only team that has that has received fewer innings from their rotation that's any good at all is the Tampa Bay Rays. And we know the Tampa Bay Rays are what, Joe? They are a unicorn. You cannot look at them and go, well, the Rays do it, so we can do it too. Boston's going to have to get a lot more out of rotation. So if you're looking, me, if, you're a team you a, there, if your favorite team is a, a, a team looking to buy, look to buy from the Boston Red Sox. Let me give you a little fact here. Uh, Chris Sale has pitched more innings in 2023 than he has since September 30th 2019 mm -hmm. until opening day this year yeah that's crazy he's pitched 48 innings in the last three years and this year he's up to 55 uh, you can't tell me with a objective lens that he's not going to 
get, you know, we'll call it what you want. The dog days, you know, soggy arm, like there's, or, you, this or they kid, might just this, have to pull back on them kid. just by, by design. Right. A 34 year old Chris sale is not going to throw 160 good innings this year. Like they're going to have to dial things back in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the best, he's the best starter they've gotten. He hasn't even been that good. Boy, if if you're a if you're a fan of oh I don't know a team out there looking for pitching, Boston's not the team you're looking to really. And I guess unless you're going to try to trade for Chris Sale, um, they have a couple of young guys. And they that might they be like. willing to get rid of him, but that's turning I, into yeah. a Patrick Corbin arbitrage. Uh, that's going to be it's going it's to be a tough one. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. But if you want bats, Boston might be a place to go. They might have one or two. That club's out there looking for a decent bat to toss in the lineup at their D8 spot or a part-time outfield or something. You might be able to go get an Adam Duvall uh, once he returns from the uh, the IL. There might be a useful uh, player in in Rob Refsnyder that Boston might be uh, yeah. might be willing to uh, to part with, having a really good year, most of mostly an on-base guy, fifteen uh, percent walk rate, throwing up a four hundred OBP at this point. Ramel Tapia, a part-time player, might be interesting to uh, to some folks out there. Justin Turner who's having an okay year, a little bit above average with the bat. If, if you're out there looking for a third base, first base guy to swing it a little bit from the right side. So the Red Sox might just be a place to go buy a, you know, like a seven hole hitter if you're a team in the, uh, in the playoff race. But man, Joe, like if you're, if you're in the American league central, you're in the American league West, you have to be thinking about like the player, not the players, but the front office has to be thinking about, we might have to win our division because the American league East might just put the Rays, the Orioles, the Yankees and one of the two other clubs, Toronto or the Reds are all in the postseason. We don't think it's going to be Boston, but we think three are pretty much as close to sure things as you can have two months into the season. That's the way I'd be looking at it. If I'm Houston, Texas, Seattle, the angels, uh, Cleveland, if I'm Detroit and I have any plans to make the playoffs, I'm thinking I have to win the American league central. I have to win the American league West to get in. That's the way I would approach it. If I'm those other clubs at this point, because the American league East, eh, a little bit of a beast at this point, especially at the top. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to think that one or two of these teams are going to fade back. I think the Red Sox are certainly going to be one of those teams. I don't know who else fades back though. Those rosters are good. I'm expecting Baltimore to have some problems in the summer with that, with that pitching staff a little bit, but maybe not enough to tear them out of a playoff spot. Like right now they're 14 games over 500 right now. Like that's a pace of, you know, that's a 95 plus win pace. Like I don't expect that to, uh, to continue, but can they still get the 90 and win one of the wild cards? Yeah, I, I would, I would think so. And like we talked about, they might add, I mean, they're a club that has talent to go add. The trade deadline is going to be fascinating. I, there's going to be teams looking to hang on to things. There are going to be teams looking to sell some things. I don't know that there are going to be a lot of stars out there on the market, Joe, but uh, I think we might see a couple of trades that we – and this is starting to happen a little bit more. I think we might see a couple of trades that really nobody saw coming because I think teams are right. out there willing to sell – at the right price for guys that have control years left. And I think this year there are going to be more teams out there willing to actually pay that price to avoid the rental. I'm a little bit. Let's, at, go ahead, let's go ahead and pay that price. I'm looking at That's going to be with baseball changing with, with the postseason format changing the, I think the new market inefficiency is going to be essentially what the Rays have been doing for years, offloading players early and replacing mm-hmm. them with players that are ready to rock. Like, Right. You, you you look at the Brewers and you just have to look at Corbin Burns and you have to look at Willie Adamas and say, 
or, or Rowdy Telez, like you have to say, does the, does the Brewers, do, do they think they can replace them and still be reasonably competitive mm-hmm. and move them for a haul of prospects? Yeah. I would That's say where yes, I think this is going to go. Explore it, right? We have to assume they're going to explore it. Yeah. I would think so. I if, would think if so. I'm if I'm in the National League right now, I'm scared to death the Dodgers are going to move and get the player I want or the players I want because they were pretty quiet over the winter. They didn't spend a bunch of money. When I got JD Martinez, they didn't spend a ton of money though. Like if I find a guy out there I like, I want to go get him and you know what, Joe? I want to go get him as soon as I can get him for a price that I can live with before the Dodgers get out there and start getting aggressive. That's the team I'd be afraid of, uh, especially in the National League, getting the player that I want. Uh, Everybody was talking about the Padres heading into the season, and the Dodgers are still the best team in that division. I mean, who saw it coming? Well, pretty much most of us, right? We kind of all saw the (laughs) Dodgers still kind of hang. They know what they're doing over there. So, uh, cool, yeah, the American League East, fun stuff there. All right, let's talk a little uh, little draft before we go. Uh, We talk a lot... Talk a lot, Joe, about first round picks because that's the thing most people are interested in. And relatively speaking, those are the ones that have the best chance to make some kind of an impact and to do it sooner than later. But when we think of it, if we were to remove, say, the top 30 to 40 players from your board, which I have pulled up on my screen right now, by the way, if we take the top 30 or 40 out of it, and I know this list is going to be updated um, uh, in the coming weeks. But if we go all the way down to, let's go down to number 40, which is Rafael Velasquez at Huntington Beach. We take everybody before that. Velasquez, Ledbetter, you know, Cooper Pratt, all those, all the way up to Dylan Cruz, completely out of the equation. I'm interested in the upside plays because when, when we have draft discussions, we always hear about, well, the floor on this guy, the ETA on this guy, the ceiling on this guy. Let's talk about that ceiling. Are there some guys in that that early second round and beyond conversation that have big upside but really don't have much of a chance to go in the first round that we should kind of take a look at that we should be thinking about? And this might just be a bunch of high school kids because that's kind of the nature of it. But it seems to me there are some some college bats in this group from 41 to 100 or so that might fit into this category. I'm just curious to get a couple of names who are the biggest upside plays after that top 40 for you? I love this question. We never talk about this. We never talk about this for the sake of the the discussion. I'm just going to eliminate the high schoolers that are throwing like 99 and that's kind of like like their only trait um, sure, because I think sure. they're there for, for arm talent. So let's talk yeah. about some guys with like multiple tools, multiple ways of getting there. I am fascinated by Johnny Farmello, outfielder out of Westfield. Mm-hmm. Chantilly, Virginia. He's a Virginia uh, Virginia commit, 6'2", 200, super physical, left-handed hitter, Big power, huge right? bat speed, huge yeah. bat speed, but 70 runner too. So he's got that power speed combo, left-handed hitter. Uh, folks that I've talked to don't like the approach. They're they're concerned over whether or not he's going to be able to work with, with pitch selection. So mm-hmm. the physical tools and the left-handed stick and – Things you can't teach, like those are the types of kids that I'd be all over. So mm-hmm. that's one. That's a big one right there. Johnny okay. Farmello. Johnny Farmello. Got it. That's a good name too. It's like it's it's like a Disney Channel movie. Farmello. It, it is. And and it's uh, and it's J-O-N-N-Y, right? So there's a little bit like he comes with a little style, a little more style. This is a it, it, he already reminds me of Riley Green, and I haven't even seen him, Joe. 
Just like like what I want you... him to hit homers so we can just call it Johnny Rockets. Right. <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right. So one of John, Johnny Farmello. Give me uh give me at least a couple of more. Who's the next guy on that list for you? Okay. So another guy that I'm in love with is LSU righty Grant Taylor. Didn't pitch this mm. year, pitched right. sparingly last year, pitched on the Cape, but the data and the operation and the athleticism, the strength that he added in the Cape. I mean, people talking about him being a late first round pick. It was so loud that I don't think his stock has really fallen off too much. So I think Mm. he's going to be a priority guy. I don't think he's going to end up back in Baton Rouge. Um, So, yeah, anyways, fastball up to 97, cutter, sinker, slider, change up, um, curveball. He's got six pitches. And I just think that's the type of guy like, yeah, you had TJ this year. And yeah, he's probably not going to pitch for you this year. And. Yeah, he might not be ready until, you know, May of 2024, but I think this is the type of guy that you that you just throw a $1.2 million bonus at and see what happens. Is this a is this a kid? I mean, he's obviously a college kid, but is this a kid who brings a bunch of physical projections still, uh, despite the fact that he's uh uh a college guy, or is he pretty built? Because if I remember Grant Taylor that I saw. We're talking about 6'2", 225. Like, this isn't necessarily a guy you're looking boy. to grow oh, yeah. into his body. He's already there, right? Yeah, he put on 15 pounds um, after the 2022 season. So yeah. he's kind of hit that physical peak right now at 220, 6'3". That's a full-grown man. and mm-hmm. He's already up into the mid-90s. He's got, you know, four or five pitches. I think with at this point, what you're wanting to do is let's take a look at those six pitches. Let's choose three of them that we think are going to be dynamic weapons that really fit your movement patterns. I mean, I'm just mm-hmm. getting into development slang now, but um, where can you find the most success? Let's get you healthy and find the most success. I think he showed enough in the Cape. I think he showed enough uh, in spring ball in, in February to really just keep teams on him in, in the draft. Mm-hmm. Does Hunter Owen, the lefty out of Vanderbilt, fit the mold here for you? I don't know. I know that you really like him. I kind of want your your point of view here, six, six lefties do mm. not grow on trees. And I know right. he's been up to 97, but I'm always kind of a, I'm always kind of skeptical on a guy that has durability issues like deep into the season. Grant Taylor's mm. one thing you cut him open. He's ready in 2024 Hunter Owen. I look at it as man, you missed three weeks with fatigue. What does this look like when we ramp him back yeah. up? What do you think? I think that's what creates the gray area on a kid like this and why if he gets to like you put up, you you draw on your board, you draw this line. If Owen gets past this point, we take him. Um, But if he doesn't, we don't like you kind of you literally draw a line on your board uh, because of the medicals. But if you were to erase the medicals like this is a guy like uh, you get him in your system, you teach him how to do the things that your organization is good at. And you get out of him what you think you get out of him. But there are a lot of folks out there. You, you look at a guy like Hunter Owen and you're thinking, this is a big, you don't see a lot of these guys in major league baseball, let alone college that are big, strong, throw hard, have strikeout pitches or at least projectable strikeout pitches. But you know, like you said, like the medicals are one thing and, and the missing the time and, and things like that. But he also hasn't really built up his endurance either. And we talk about durability, Right. But he's not a guy that's like really used to going out there and has really built a track record of I'm going to give you six innings. I'm going to give you six. He hasn't really done that yet, has he? No. And, uh, you know, I, I keep thinking this is Patrick Corbin, which is a good thing. Patrick Corbin early mm-hmm. in his career was really good. He was good. Yeah. And Hunter Owen, Hunter Owen has a has a good slider, big fastball. Like I, it just it looks and it's that really like wide, big arm 
uh, kind of slot, like way up high that, that uh, Patrick Corbin kind of made, made work with. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, everyone, every single player I think has a, a spot in the draft that makes sense. And I think the second round makes sense for a six, six lefty that throws 97 and can throw strikes. So, right. Right. Yeah. He was but also, uh, he's been, he's been on, you know, he's been in the first round for some public boards. So I don't know how hidden he is. He might go in the first round anyways. Right. Uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, he was scratched in his final start of the regular season. I believe that was, was just a couple I weeks think, ago. So. I think he was scratched so it, in his last three. So it's, so that, so it's recent. Like the, the issue is yeah. recent too. It's not something that happened in March and he's over it. So you do have to look at that and, and consider that. Uh, who else you got? You got uh, at least one more for me. Yeah. My, my favorite, maybe my favorite player in the draft. Um, Brody Hopkins. He's a right-handed pitcher out of Winthrop. Yeah. I said Winthrop six foot four, 200 pounds. Kid plays center field. He plays center field and he's on the mound as a starting pitcher reliever hybrid up to 98 with massive arm side run and a 88 to 89 mile an hour slider. I've had Jake Arietta comps. I've had Dustin May comps. And I got word this week that he ran a 6360, which is essentially double plus speed, a 70 runner throwing 98 on the mound and playing center field. Yeah. So, I mean, the kid is an absolute tool shed. I don't know where he fits though, because you know, he played at Winthrop. Is he a flash in the pan? Didn't play on the Cape. You know, this is one of those kids that it's like the, the pure talent here is obviously so incredibly loud, but the competition and the track record is so short. Where does he fit? So I think if any team were to get Hopkins in the third, Man, man, what a pick that would be. Really fun. So the one thing we talked about before we go here, uh, the one thing we talked about before the before February, before draft season, so to speak, uh, began, was it's a pretty good class, and it's one of the better classes in a lot of ways that we've seen in recent years. Whether you want to go back five years or ten years, like whatever. Uh, as that's developed, um, and generally the, the class gets stronger as it goes, now, early on, I was getting the I was getting the opposite reports. I was getting folks at the the national checker and up were telling me this isn't as good a class as we thought. That was early. That was like February, March. Now I'm getting the opposite from the same people. They're like, yeah, we're seeing it, just not from the people we expected to see it from. Is that the word you're getting as well? That this is still a pretty good class uh, with talent, uh, you know, littered all over prep, JC, four year schools bats, arms. There's a lot of shortstops in this class, a lot of athletes in this class, a lot of potential center fielders in this class. And there are just arms galore that gets you three, four rounds deep where you're expecting to get big leaguers out of it. Are you hearing the same thing? I think this draft ended up being a lot deeper on the high school bat side of things than a lot of people expected. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of people moving money around in the first round, especially in that 10 to 25 range trying to position themselves to land some of this really interesting high school talent that's going to be there in the second and third round. I I just think the high school crop as a whole ended up being a whole lot deeper than everyone thought. The pitching class, the college pitching class stinks. Uh, I mean, maybe that's just my opinion, but I think there's going to be some really interesting arms that are available in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round range. 
I do not see very many first and second round college pitching types. Right. The, so the depth there isn't great. I'm, we know that there, the we depth, know there are guys at the top not. of it that have have stuff, but yeah. I mean, there's going to be guys taken in the third and fourth round with ERAs over six, and I know that's going to happen. So it's <laughs> it's just weird in that way. But college bats, it's going to be college bats galore in the first mm-hmm. round, and I think you're just going to see a ton of really really solid high school athletes picked all over, like. Kind of like 2020, 2020 and a little bit 2021, there was a ton, a ton of uh, just high school flair, Mason Wynn, Jared Jones, like, the, you know, these guys that just move different than their peers. I want to ask you about one guy before we go. Um, I think you have him ranked somewhere around 100, give or take. But the reason I'm asking about Cade Kern is because Ooh, nice. he plays at a Big Ten school. And this is one of my favorite conversations. I ask people these questions as much as I possibly can. About 20 years ago, Big Ten baseball was not really a thing. It just wasn't. And, and it was, I think about 2009, 2010, a guy like Alex Wimmers comes out of Ohio State. And, and I was like, wow, Ohio State. You know, like didn't expect that. And like really nobody did. The Big Ten has improved so much when it comes to creating uh, baseball programs and putting out pretty good, solid baseball. And Cade Kern is one of those guys that when you look at the performance, when you look at the numbers, when you read about him, and I read your write-up on him, uh, and I wanted to just ask, like I'm reading your write-up right now, you know, 90th percentile exit velocities as a freshman in the Big Ten. S- full stop right there, right in the middle of your first sentence of your write-up on Cade Kern. But take it from there. Tell me about Cade Kern. You have him ranked at 108. What's kind of the high point for him, or does he just kind of stay in that 100 range when it comes to uh, getting pulled off the board in, in, in about six weeks? Yeah, I mean, behind the curtain, he's 81 now, so uh, he, he'll, he'll get a pretty big jump. I, mm-hmm. Kern has just been kind of, uh, he's been kind of clawing his way back. Like, everyone saw him as a second-round pick entering the season, and through, like, the first two or three weeks of the season, he he was getting his base hits, but he was swinging through everything everyone started to doubt his uh you know his his pure hit tool even though there was some base hits falling he finished the year so strong what did i mean let's see what did he finish at he every year he said every week it seemed to be higher and higher so 283 402 470 not quite as loud as i was expecting but mm-hmm. 16 stolen bases he can play all over the outfield he hits the ball harder than thunder um really good in uh in the cape I think Kern is going to be one of those guys that goes in the second or third round, kind of uh, in the same mold as a Ryan Lasko from Rutgers. Just okay. physical, yep. physical outfielder, right, right, can play every position, can run, can hit. Um, yeah, he's 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 definitely in that mold of a sleeper. That's a good call. Yeah, there's uh, quite a few Big Ten, Big Twelve kids um, in the top 100 or so. Uh, Bryce Matthews at Nebraska. Uh, Max Anderson at Nebraska. Uh, you mentioned Lasco, uh, Matt Shaw, obviously probable first round pick. Uh, there's some guys there. Uh, really interesting. Kate, Kate Kerner was just one of those guys that kind of stood out for me a little bit when I was, uh, when I was reading about him and looking at, uh, at some video. So had to get, uh, had to get that one out. So, um, really quick before we go, uh, a yes or no answer, literally just yes or no. At the end of the day, is Paul Skeens the number two pick? I'm going to ask you this again in about five weeks. But at the end of the day, does Skeens go number two? No. 
Wow. I don't love think so. it. I love it. I love it. To me, that is the key to the whole first round being fun. It's boring if they take skeins. <laughs> it is, man. It is just really boring. Like, let skeins fall a couple spots and see who steals a guy who's probably in the big leagues in a year, you know, pitching in a number three or you number ain't two. Lying, man. He's probably that. he's probably pitching in a big league stadium in August of 2024. He is so yeah. He's so nasty, but there's just been such a pull away from pitching in terms of the draft that I think it's mm-hmm. enough to get a second hitter taken number two. Yeah, love it. Cool. Uh, this was fun. This is always fun. We're having fun. FSS Plus podcast. Uh, Joe, when is your update, your, uh, your your top 500, or are you adding to it? Are you moving to 600 soon, or are you doing another 500 here pretty quick? I think we'll probably just move to 600, uh, and that'll probably be June 8th. I think okay. we'll move to that. Maybe it'll be June fifteenth. We'll we'll see. I'm still collecting oh. some different inf- pieces of information. So, so ten days, two weeks or so, give or take. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Uh, it'll be stuff. a big one too. That, there's uh, we'll going to be a huge more, shakeup in the uh, top. We're going to jump 30. into some minor league stuff next week with uh, the DSL and the complex league starting. And uh, there's some rosters down in A ball that are really really interesting. And I want to talk about Ethan Solace too. The, uh, the Padres kid who debuted in low A ball at age 16. That does not happen very often. And I believe he got a hit in his first at bat. So uh, we'll dive into some minor league baseball talk prospects a little bit next week. Follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Doyle, M-I-L-B. Did I do that right this time, Joe? Did I get it right the first <laughs> time this time? I think I finally did. I'm at Prospect Insider. Follow FSS Plus at FSS underscore plus. And of course, head to futurestarseries.com for all the content podcasts Lots of rankings, lots of event results, lots of fun stuff we're doing over there. In fact, I just put my rookie rankings out on uh, on Thursday, so check that out as well. Uh, we'll talk again next week. Joe, appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Uh, I'm going to do this ending over again because it sucks and I lost my train of thought because I got somebody flashing at me in the window. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Hell no, dude. Just pub this. Yeah. All right. Done. We'll talk next week. So just chill to the next episode.